Yeah, Colin just wanted an opening to talk about his new shoes. Sure. And they're, Look, they're good. I, if I wanted that, I could have just made the opening. Sure. The you is Andy. Wow. <laughs> Don't say that. They got to sponsor us first. Yeah, I will bleep it. For real, I'll bleep it. Great. <laughs> right. um, but they yes, we can No one say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked in two parts. We got to talk about it, folks. They're doing it. They're fucking Sure, they're doing, doing Wicked it. in two parts. They're going to split Wicked into two parts of... A show that famously has Act 2 problems. And I guess they're going to try to fix them by making it its own thing. We've uh, talked about this privately before. I know nothing about Wicked. That's and right. I occasionally like to, to like say things like shiz to Cullen and make him really mad. I um, mean, it's just nonsense. Here's what I know shiz. about Wicked. I know and what... shiz is the school they go to, and they go to school. Like, what is that? They're witches. What do you mean? They're uh, not all witches. What? <laughs> There's no- what is it about then? <laughs> I mean, it's not exclusively witches at this school. It's about all people, citizens of Oz who go to school. But is it? Is it like a coming of age? <laughs> yeah, it's so much happened before Dorothy dropped in, Colin. You wouldn't even know. Uh, (laughs) it's about uh, Glinda and or Galinda she's known as both throughout the show Um, uh, and uh, and Alphaba who is alright I know Alphaba (laughs) alright welcome to Can I Kick It (laughs) this is a podcast about film festivals Um, I'm Colin Ashley I'm one of your hosts joined by (laughs) Dr. Dillamond Andy Gerbuga <laughs> Puerto Rico's Alphaba and we live the S. We'll be covering both movies on the podcast extensively. Well, yeah, they're both going to play Can. <laughs> Successive years. Sure. But speaking of Can. Speaking of Can. Speaking of Can. There's folks. Can news. We got a little bit of Can news and then yeah. we're talking about a famous Palm Door tie. Yes. 1980. All that jazz, Kagamusha, the Shadow Warrior, <laughs> tied from Palm Door. Yes, we'll talk about it a little bit later. But first, the upcoming can, the 75th can. Uh, they, since last week, they've announced um, like eight more movies, something like that, uh, that they're adding to the lineup. Uh, a handful of other movies, right? Across across a bunch of sections. Three competition movies. Uh, Leonor Serai's Un Petit Frere. Uh, we got... Un um, Petit Frere. <laughs> not, a, not again. Um, <laughs> Albert Serra's uh, Tournament sur le Ile. Uh, and Eight Mountain, The Eight Mountains by Charlotte Van Der Meersch and Felix Van Groningen. Uh, director of yeah, the, the guy who did Breakdown. Broken Circle Breakdown, yes. and um, he did Beautiful Boy. That Beautiful Boy. Yeah, Beautiful that's Boy an Italian movie. movie. Recently, I've been like, I bet I can get there with Beautiful Boy and think it's good. <laughs> yeah, that is the kind of bullshit you would stand up for. Um, Don't you love Ben is Back? Yeah, Ben is Back is good. Um, 
<laughs> this is <Yeah>. awful. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, these are, I guess, these are interesting inclusions. Uh, interesting that uh, Van Groeningen's movie is here. Uh, Albert Sarah, we have talked about in the past as like a person who has often been considered too weird for like can competition has been in places like directors Fortnite and Munster Tarn Regard and Locarno so it is interesting that he is being upgraded here maybe that suggests that a movie is not that weird or maybe it suggests that they were just desperate to get French movies into the lineup and they took the closest good thing available <laughs> sure uh, they added three films into the Cannes premiere section. Don Juan by Serge Bozon. It's a Love musical Bozon. romantic comedy uh, with Virginia Fire and Tahar Rahim. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, Sounds sure. good, I am. Uh, yeah. They have also added La Nuit du Twelve by Dominic Maul. Uh, and also Chronique de la by Emmanuel Moray. In the midnight screening section, they added the film Rebels by Adil El Arvi and Bilal Fahlaha. In Uncertain Regard, they added Plus Que Jamais uh, by Emily Atef. Mediterranean Fever by Mahahaj. Le Bleu du Coftan by Mariam Tuzani. And Harka by Lofty Nassim. And they also. I think this is the last thing we'll get to, but they also added a new Louis Garrel movie out of competition, La Innocent. Yeah, this is the sequel to A Faithful Man, I believe. Okay. Are you a fan I of? Could be wrong. A Faithful I, yeah, Man. I don't know I'm anything not about familiar a with that film. Yeah. All right, we talked about it a little bit on our Philippe Garrel episode. Mm-hmm. Um classic very funny very good movie that not a lot of people have seen um and i think he was working on a sequel to it and i this could be it. i could be wrong right um yeah um, but yeah they also added yeah. some special screenings but we don't need to get to all of those anyway they also announced a jury the jury they did a it full Finally. jury president and everything among news of backing in and out of certain plans for their jury president and p- different people they were trying to court along different strata mm-hmm. of fame they have settled on their jury president Vincent Lindon star Vincent Lindon Tint- from Titan, Titan Bastard Friday Night Bastards yeah yeah and he's in he's in the new one uh, both sides of the blade fire whatever they're calling it now um, right not the new the new, new one that's in competition yeah 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 not to the stars or whatever, or the stars at noon. The stars. To the noon. stars is a different movie. Yeah. To all the stars who have noon before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Also on the jury. Oh, I was gonna say he's an interesting pick. I guess people. He's like sort of not as famous as they tend to go, especially recently, which right. maybe suggests that they sort of panic moved and pick somebody who is like a can favorite prestige play, rather than mm-hmm. going for just like the most famous person that said yes but I don't know he seems like an interesting guy probably has good taste people some people specu- already speculating about the fix being in for the stars at noon I and mean. whether <laughs> uh, whether that's gonna uh, he's just gonna give her the palm the or other members of the jury Cullen 
Rebecca Hall, actor and director. She directed Passing. She was in the Night House last year. The beloved Night House. She's also in the town. She is also sure. in the town. She's, She's also having a good year. She was in um, was Iron Man 3. I saw. She was in the Sunday's movie. That a I Resurrection. Like. I believe Resurrection. that's yeah, yeah. something. Um, and people like Passing. I, I, I need to see Passing. Yeah, Passing is pretty good. Uh, it's worth a watch, I would say. Um, yeah, she's having a real moment. Good for her. Asghar Farhadi. Now, this is interesting. Controversial. <laughs> he was heavily rumored for the president of the jury for a while. Uh, and then and he gets in trouble. Is in the middle of a serious legal dispute over his creative output, uh, which is still pending... Um, so, I guess that gets you kicked off being president of the jury, but is not harsh enough to get you off of the jury altogether. So he's Listen. on the jury. Um, it seems like they had a hard time filling this jury out. Sure. So, right. <laughs> yeah. if this is the least problematic person they can get, uh, it's like, uh, I guess this is fine. <laughs> right. What did he do again? Uh, just plagiarism, maybe? <laughs> Right, yeah. And um, just plagiarism and maybe are both like both important that they're both there. Yeah. Uh, Numi Rapace from Prometheus. The, <laughs> the, origin- the girl with the dragon the tattoo. Girl with the dragon Original tattoo. flavor. What happened to Monday or whatever that Netflix movie was called? That's right. Mm-hmm. Bright. Yeah. She's also in Bright. She's in Bright, sure. She's in a um, lot of stuff. She's in a she's deleted working. scene from uh, Alien Covenant, of course. That's um, true. Yeah. I like cool her in actor. Prometheus a lot. I think she's good in Prometheus. She, um... I love that movie. Um, yeah. She's sort of the banani and avocado of actors. But we don't, sure. we don't, we don't need to get to, uh, past that. We I would have... need that explained to me, but uh, I guess we're just moving You on. wouldn't like the explanation. I Jeff imagine. Nichols. <laughs> Jeff Nichols. Director of Midnight Special. Hank, Hank the and... Cow Dog. Uh... <laughs> yeah, he did the Hank the Cow Dog audio. Not A Quiet Place Part 3. <laughs> yeah, he's not doing a lot of stuff that he said he was doing. <laughs> but this is a fun inclusion. I like Jeff Nichols' movies mostly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've uh, only seen the two most recent ones, I think, but I like them both. Um, I would say Can Competition Veteran with Loving... Mm-hmm. Right, loving's great. Um, um, he should make a film. He's not making Yankee Commandante anymore, right? No. Um, and he also is not making the um, the the remake of that Alien Alienation. He's not doing that anymore, which he was going to for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he is focusing on a new science fiction project that Paramount Pictures. Midnight Special is like a weird movie that I don't think sticks its landing. Yeah. But I remember thinking it was cool and it was like right on the cusp of like Adam Driver becoming like right. the hugest Auteur indie friend, star or right, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he's got like a small role. He's like in the cut and he's really good in that. I mean, yeah. Midnight Special is one of those classic movies that I remember hearing about when it was coming out and it seemed like everybody I was following was just like, yes, this is going to be great. We're so into this. And then it came out and everybody was like, Seven out of ten. It's I mean, pretty ending, good. He he kind of takes a big swing with the ending that like I don't really like, and uh, a lot of people I think are just mid on that movie in the first place. Because he makes like he makes small movies, um, right? That one was like weirdly a more populous play for him. It was uh, sure, yeah. sure. I mean, yeah, it's like sci- kid sci-fi. Uh, yeah. Joaquin Trier, <laughs> director of Worst Person in the World, our recent uh, director winner. 
director, yeah, I believe there's an open invite for him to come on the show. So if he wants to do that, sure. he's still welcome to. Um, Anybody in involved in the worst person in the world has a welcome spot on this podcast. That's all I'll say. Colin right. seconded. Colin oh, quorum. All right. oh, sorry, Co- all right. No, 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 no. I mean, Colin r- rubbing his hands, Birdman style. <laughs> Tone it down. Yeah, folks. this is my unexpected virtue of ignorance. <laughs> all right. Uh, Laj Lai, director of Les Misérables, um, yeah. recent uh, can player and uh, Oscar nominee. Um, it's true. Uh, and then these are the next two are the two I'm not familiar with. Jasmine Trinka, Italian actress in films such as On My Skin, You Can't Save Yourself Alone, um, The Goddess of Fortune, and Sean Penn's The Gunman. <laughs> hey, great. If she has Sean's blessing, she's welcome right. to yeah. It's nice to have and, some Sean Penn representation at Cannes once again, just for the continuity of it all. And Deepika Padukone, uh, Hindi actress, was also in Triple X Return of Xander Cage. Great. I'm sure that's why 2012 they got it. Cocktail, Happy New Year 2014. I'm sure Vin vouched for Bajirao Mastani 2015. Padmavat 2018. One of Time's 100 most influential people in the world in 2018. Wow. Who else has that on this jury? I mean, we've all been one of Time's most influential people in the world. Well. <laughs> to be fair. Maybe one, of course, for our oldest person alive. <laughs> all right. Um, but, yeah, that's the jury. That's, that's the, jury. the jury. It's uh, seems... Who knows what this means like for our predictions and what will win? I don't remember what any of us said. I don't think um, anyone said the Denis, right? Which seems like it might have. I don't better, think so. I think I said, now. I said the park. Um, the park. I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. I said um, the uh, what's his name, James Gray. Yeah, yeah. That that one. I and maybe like I don't see that one happening now. With the jury, maybe, maybe, maybe. I yeah. Mine, I think, is a little tougher. I'd say I picked the daunt. Yeah, I mean, look, that could be a thing of just like weird-brained, you know, celebrity, but like Trier and Nichols, they're like big movie heads. Like yeah. I wonder if they'll where they'll lean. It's just interesting to think about. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's like one of those things where I guess it's like. Maybe this is an unfair perception of just, like, level of fame, the, like, seesaw of level to fame of just assumed, like, taste in film. Yeah. Where it's just, like, it's down on one end, so I'm assuming it's going up on the other end, so maybe something really good will win. But who knows? Maybe Vincent Lindon likes bad movies. Any of these people who like bad movies. But I generally assume, like, Rebecca Hall seems like she has interesting taste, Trier... Who the fuck knows what's going on with Farhadi at this point? Like, I don't... Yeah, oh, Farhadi <laughs> takes a weird stand against something. <laughs> I don't like this movie because of what it says about plagiarists. <laughs> yeah, what if one of the movies is like, <laughs> plagiarism's evil, and he's just like, fuck! <laughs> this is the... I know! <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah. And with that... 
More to come now let's take a trip back to can 1980. <laughs> Cullen's really committing to this. Yeah. Imagine the amount of cocaine. <laughs> sure. Hey, Bob Fosse. Yeah. Blasting rails on the quasette. Uh-huh. Bob, Bob Fosse. Yeah, I guess I. Is one of the few people who I would not feel like I would slander, I would be slandering, but be like, he was probably, he probably did a lot. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the movie, they're like, you're, you're addicted to speed, right? Or whatever, right? Like, he's like, yep. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk all that jazz and Kagamusha, which tied for the Palm Door. Yes. But before that, I did quickly want to talk about a little bit of the jury and that then a little can, bit of the yeah, other competition it's an interesting, movie. It's an interesting. Uh, we got Kirk Douglas as the jury president. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy's former competition for oldest person alive. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I can't believe how much this bit has invaded the podcast. <laughs> uh, Ken Adam, Character Robert Benayoun, Velko Blagic, Leslie Carone, Charles Champlin. A real uh, Kristen Borrell situation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, Andre DeVoe, John Luigi, Rondi, Michael Spencer, and Albina Dubasuve? Yes, a former journalist and film producer. Of course. Aren't we all and former journalists if you think about it? No. Uh, some of the other, the other movies in competition that we have being there Sam Fuller's Big Red One, Breaker Morant. Uh, we get something by uh, uh, Marco Bellocchio, who we talked about in our 2009 episode, Walter Hill, uh, Maurice Pilat, uh, Alain Rene, Dennis Hopper with Out of the Blue. Uh, we get a Godard here, Every Man for Himself. And, uh, you know, Bertrand Tavernier has something also. Yep. There's a Fellini Viata competition. Um,. Yeah, is there anything that we'll be talking about? Stalker. Do we have any of our uh, blockbusters this year? Uh, I don't. Doesn't look think like so. it. I don't think so. I think it's a that was a little pre. A blockbuster list year. Yeah, I mean, there's like Volker Schollendorf's The Candidate is uh, an uncertain regard. Ken Loach's The Gamekeeper. Ken Loach, been here the whole time. I feel like, yeah, Fellini has City of Women comp as well. Uh, there's a Nick Ray uh, Vendors movie, Stalker. But yeah, and then the awards. Yeah, it's in, there's it, the, the the nomenclature in these awards is interesting because it's very clear there was a split on the jury for the yeah. Palme d'Or because uh, so, it was. Uh, co-awarded to All That Jazz and Kagamusha, the two films we're going to talk yes. about today. And then the Grand Prix went to the Rene movie, and there's My a American note uncle, yes. unanimously. <laughs> yeah, and parents <laughs> unanimously. So uh, they were like, this one we all agreed on. So I wonder if that was like floated as like a compromise palm pick, and then they were like, no, we feel more passionate about these two or whatever. Uh, and then... Uh, Torre Scola, Eganor Incroci, and Furio Scarpelli won Best Screenplay for La Terrazza. Not if I check no. my notes, it looks like this is an Italian movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, La Terrazza. 
Furio Scarpelli. Um, uh, Anouk Ami won for A Leap in the Dark, and Michael Piccoli won for A Leap in the Dark for Best Actor and or Actress and Actor, respectively. Uh, supporting actress, they did. Uh, as we talked about this, well. I think uh, when we talked about our split, our big rundown during our Martin Fink episode, this was a split. Um, two supporting actors from La Terrazza. Well, yeah, Dravich, we talked about multi award uh, winners on the Martin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Um, so La Terrazza would be one of those. Yes. Um, and then uh, Jack Thompson won Best Supporting Actor for Breaker Morant. And Christoph Zanussi's Constance won the jury prize. Yeah. Um, yeah, Kirk Douglas very on the Wikipedia has a very striking uh, headshot. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, yeah, it's three funny pictures of, like, Kirk Douglas, uh, Kurosawa, Kurosawa in the bucket hat, right. and then, then Fosse with, like, a tilted fedora or whatever. fedora, yeah. Yeah. Listen, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you, you gotta represent, you know? Mm-hmm. You gotta... For the Bob Fosse picture, it's just Sam Rockwell? <laughs> Listen, we're gonna talk about Fosse Bird. Um, but not, first... Yes, but first... We should talk about Kagamusha. 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 Kurosawa. A late period Kurosawa. That's right. How familiar are either of you with Kurosawa? I have Not seen... Um, Rashomon, and I have seen High and Low. Rashomon wow. is, like, pretty good. It's, like, a movie that, like, obviously suffers from, like, every person. Per- like, Rashomon. It's been ripped thought, off too many yeah, times. Yeah, so many times. Yeah. And High and Low is one of the best movies ever made. I am. <laughs> High and Low is just, like, yeah. hard to argue against. High and Low is the other one I have seen. I, this is my second. Um, yeah. And I also think that one is, like, incredible. Uh, this was, yeah, this was my very first. I had never seen one before. Um, this is yeah, he had, he, this is maybe a, this we'll get into this. This is maybe a weird starting point for him. I think. I think so. I, do I think th- so. <laughs> I think that this is like to make a comparison. Uh, just I, the little reading I did. This is like kind of like jumping into Scorsese with the Irishman. This sort of yeah, it is like a sort of like it's, reckoning. And I like, do get right. I get the like this is a meditation on something. Yeah, yeah. Like sort like, of vibes from it, and I was like. Well, I would like to have more context as to what this is a meditation on and what your pet themes are and all that sort of stuff. So, um. I do think it seems like, again, I'm not, I haven't been seen a lot of this movie. I do think it is a right. piece with the other parts of it. And it's like part of its journey of winning the Palme d'Or, I think it does, has to do with the circumstances under which it was made, which is that sure. he, ha- he had a very rough 70s after, like, being maybe the best film director alive from like the 40s to the 60s certainly among the people in the argue you could make that argument about with like uh Fellini and Bergman and people like that right and then he came back and he wanted to make this big epic he got help from his old buddies George Lucas and FFC himself Francis Ford Coppola and he made a big like big samurai Japanese historical epic and I think part of the reason why it won had to do with it being like such a like return like a try it triumph right. like Kurosawa was back with the new big his new big thing and he's like doing it like no one else can do it 
But anyway, Kagamusha, Shadow Warrior, directed by Akira Kurosawa, which is about... Let me pull up. It is set during the Shingoku period of Japan, which is somewhere around the mid to late 1500s. It is... It is... It begins being about Takeda Shingen, who is the daimyo of the Takeda clan. Basically means he's like a shogun or warlord who is presented a thief by his brother, who is like his right-hand man, and the thief looks a lot like him, so he decides to make him his double. It's, that is what Kagamusha means. It is it's like Shadow Warrior is a literal translation, but that is meant in Japanese that is meant to convey like a political decoy. Um, and then basically the, the movie takes, it exists from the point of view of his two body, his two doubles, because after, soon right. after he taking has... his first double, he dies during war. So one double decides to be more of an advisor and the other double, the second double that he takes it, who is maybe a more unruly and unfit well, it was his man. brother. Yeah. And then there's a, the guy who was like the criminal that the brother pulled as like a second double. Yeah. And based then basically the movie exists as a power struggle or and also an exter- an internal moral struggle about this double and whether he sees himself fit to be the king, the shogun of all these people, the ways in which his power is undermined, the way in which the, his general's commitment to this lie affects the power and balances of people like his son who wants to be the head of the clan, how it affects his enemies and their skepticism about his aliveness and what that means for the power struggles within this area. And it basically ends with like a recreation of a famous historical battle called the Battle of Takatenjin, in which most of his army is wiped out and he is left and this double who has since been cast out of a leadership position decides to take up arms one last time as he tries to reckon with some of the guilt he he faced with pretending to be this person but anyway I'm trying to see who who should start with their thoughts on it I'm gonna say Cullen yeah Cullen should go first I mean I think it's just great. I mean, it, it's interesting to call it like a odd jumping in point, which I guess it could be true. Like, because I am underseen, I have no like uh, like to stand on to rebut that. But it is like a thing of just it is, I think, incredibly compelling on an emotional level and in a visual level enough to where. Um, like not being familiar with the sort of uh, inter- intricacies of like the politic and the sort of uh, standing of these like soldiers and like shoguns uh, with context of like his earlier like samurai films and things like that uh, that it is just like I think an incredible movie uh, and it, it is able to mine, like, it is, I found it very funny, which I was not expecting. Uh, I, I, I think there's, like, these great moments of, uh, like, real sort of emotion and, uh, it's just, like, uniformly well-acted and obviously well-directed, like, 
High and Low being the only other one I've seen. It's like always the movie I point to of like, you know, people will say like you either notice like a sort of uh, a, you like people will say it about like editing where it's like you only notice edit- editing if it's like really bad or really good or whatever. And I feel like the same sort of thing is true of blocking, which is like high and low is impeccably blocked to where like the camera is always in the right place in like a way that sort of, uh, you know, opens up like your third eye or whatever, where it's like, holy shit, this is like the perfect angle of these people. And then like, it'll swivel around and like, you'll see just like how it just uses its space incredibly well. And there's like moments here that do that also. I think the sheer volume of like people in this movie is like uh, incredibly striking. And like you find these moments uh, of all the soldiers, like it opens with all this, these soldiers asleep as, or it doesn't open with that, it opens with the sort of introduction of finding the Kagamusha. Um, but right. like the next scene basically yeah. is um, after the title drop, the, the soldier running through all these sleeping soldiers it's and it's just like these crazy colors uh, and like obviously we'll get to the dream sequence where the colors are like turned up all the way um, but it is just like setting a tone in a really exciting way for me and uh, there's like I, I just think it's really great like um, the moments I, Andy sort of had an incredulous face when I said that I found it like funny there's the bit where he's with uh, the mistresses and he's like trying to tell them like that I'm not the real guy <laughs> and it's like uh, this is like he's lying and then they all start laughing and no one believes him and then he just starts laughing too and he holds up the fan and like winks to the guy <laughs> and it's just really funny and then um, there's like a lot of moments where he uh, the Kagamusha because he's like a wild card sort of criminal he has to like they're like do this like you he's much more stoic than that usually and he like will shift and do it um but then that also leads to like these great moments like uh maybe the best moment in the movie other than the dream sequence uh is when the brother is like explaining to the pages and the like assistants um what like what why they're doing this and it's like they like all know because they're trying to keep it a secret obviously when they get back to the house from like the battlefields uh of the uh the you know the 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 shogun um they get back and he's like explaining this and there's this thing where he's like "Uh, the shadow of a man can never stand up and walk on his own i was my brother's shadow and now that i lost him i don't know what to do and it's just like the camera's like holding on him and he's just like sort of staring into the middle distance and then it cuts to like the kid like the young sort of assistants and pages and they're crying and it's such a crazy thing where i was like this is such like a raw emotional moment and then it's followed by they do this bit where um uh the kagamusha is like sort of joking with him and they're like yeah you know he would never be this vulgar and he's like they're all sort of going back and forth and he's like because he's sort of sitting there and like fanning himself or whatever and he's like, what if I did this? And he, like, pulls up this little stool in front of him and, like, positions himself and, like, starts stroking his mustache. And then everyone gets, like, holy shit, this looks just like him. And they sort of, like, get back, like, on their knees. And uh, it's just, like, a, a, a great moment of, like, we do recognize, like, the, the like, spirit in this. And I think, like... Uh, 
there's the moment where uh, the Kagamusha is like trying to break into the jar, like the huge urn that they have mm-hmm. uh, Shingen in, and he like breaks through the first layer, gets to the second layer, and then sees his face, and it like it's a very smart thing, I think, or it's a very obvious thing, but it it just works so well to use the same actor for both people <laughs> and like um when he's like he sees his own face and it like s- s- puts the fear of god in him and he like starts freaking out and like runs away and then like he feels like a sort of spiritual like debt to the guy and when they're like sending him out to see to bury him he's like like I'll do whatever you need me to do like to keep the ruse up and it's like I found that to be like an incredibly emotional moment. It's just filled with these little things though that I, I that I love. I don't know. I di- I just couldn't get there. It just I did. I, yeah. It's like I see the moments, but there I there is just so much gap between the moments that I it just I struggled to like really connect to it beyond like an intellectual level which I think it is doing a very interesting thing it's a movie that is like it's like obsessed with like formality and process and stuff like that it'll always go out of its way to show the like the way people bow and the way and the like rituals that are afforded to people in positions of power and just like how regimented socially these sorts of life at this period of Japan was and I do think that exists in an interesting contrast or like it exists as an interesting commentary as to what the main character is going through of just like or like sort of a political framework of just like how much normal people are being forced to just like respect this guy based on nothing because he's a false leader who he has no legitimate claim to anything and yet everybody has to live their lives based on him to the point where also he can't live his life live his life based on anything but the idea of what this guy should be and the like shadow machinations of his generals that's a compelling story I do find the ending very effective the colors are nice the blocking is great He's like an undeniable craft. Kurosawa is like an undeniable craftsman. He's like just incredibly technically accomplished at stuff like, yeah, uh, like expert cinematography, editing, stuff like that. But it, I don't know. I found some of the performances weird. Maybe if I wanted to get into what I did not fully, what fully like kept me from buying into the movie, I do think, I think the. Kagamusha, I think he's giving a good performance in that he has to do a lot in the level that which he's playing like the mania of being thrust into this position and being playful yet ha- yet feeling guilty and all that stuff. You can read it in his face. Though sometimes it seems too obvious. I think like a lot of the generals, I f- find those performances like a little overdone. Like I think his son the like main shogun son i think that performance is like really did not do much for me when i think it like really should because i think that's an important character for what the story is trying to be about about this like guy who has a legitimate claim to the throne but i don't know i think it's like 
there's a world in which I watched this in like five more years and I think it's a masterpiece but right now I I just like saw it I can only see the parts if that makes sense yeah yeah I mean I I do lo- I do just love it I like had an incredible experience watching it and I love it I do a little bit see what you're saying about the um, the gaps I only really feel the gaps and like the runtime in the latter third or latter hour of the movie um, and when the sun is sort of trying to take over and like the the battling uh, it it doesn't I like lose esteem is maybe a weird way to say it but I just sort of found myself less excited by that um, but on the whole I think it's use of like time of like it's runtime uh, is like very like elegant and I found like the way that things are allowed to breathe and just take as long as they would take uh, really just well done the scene early on after the uh, the shogun is shot um, and you see there's like the guy who, who took the shot and he's like here's what I did I like put it in the crook of this like uh, this porthole this window or whatever and like dropped the counterweight and marked where the weight was and then just waited until nighttime and then he's like and then he does it and he shoots the like tree perfectly <laughs> it's just it takes this like very long time to get to this thing but it's just the sort of process and uh like just discussion involved i I found really really that was like i was like holy shit we got ourselves a movie (laughs) yeah i mean i just yeah i found it very impenetrable and dense and just like i couldn't really find a hook in uh like and like the opening scene i thought was like really interesting and good and like presented some really interesting ideas but like i just felt like this too much of it was like about like military strategy and like what they're like what their attempt like all this sort of like wheeling and dealing and like i never had any real sense of like what anyone's like underlying like beliefs were and like i don't like i didn't know like what who, who all these factions were and what who who I was like what and what they stood for and why they were against each other other than like and this is probably just like a lot of ignorance on my part of not knowing Japanese history very well uh, or at all really other than you know what I learned in maybe a one month unit in I high do school. think <laughs> I do think it's like a very there, I think there is an incredible emotional story in it and they're just like it's maybe like 25% too much machinations yeah, but I mean, the machinations lead to some great scenes. Like, there's one of my other favorite scenes is like, but it's all it's all sort of just part of the ruse, which I think is like that middle bit of him trying to do things like at his palace or house, whatever I, I don't know the word for it, is like the best stuff, baby. Uh, and there's the bit like I, I, I instantly when the grandson's there and he's like, "That's not my grandpa." It's like very I was like this is so crazy um and then there's the moment where the son is back and they're like having this big meeting and the brother is just like you need to say this one thing and stand up and leave at the end like and it's gonna be fine right and the son like springs this question on him and he like has a very good answer of like uh like we need to like stay still just like the mountain or whatever because like 
the whole thing is like the mountain, the fire, the wind. Uh, I, I could have pulled it, but and he's just like, then he like stands up and leaves, uh, and everyone's like, it's this very just like great play of tension where it's like, is he gonna get caught? Is like, because it's the the weird balance of like who knows and who doesn't, and like the son feeling like sort of dejected that it like skipped a generation to his son for um who would be the heir and then right. um he's also like he wants control of certain things and uh it's just it's just a really um that that scene I found I just thought it was so great and that's like part of the sort of like using the sort of war planning war games as like means to an end for this scene of great tension um sure but then there's also like a lot of like extended battle scenes that I like was not the least bit engaged by unfortunately um I I don't know yeah it was just like a lot of spectacle and I do think like I agree like it looks incredible it's incredible like it just like there's like yeah it just you know you can really tell what a visual sense he has and obviously like that's like the dumbest thing to say about a Kurosawa movie probably is that like it looks great or whatever but like yeah it's just like all the costumes, the robes, all these like oh, the costumes are so the, like good. all these like multi-patterned like clashing like robes the armor and where stuff. it's like yeah. different colored studs, right? On, like, and everyone has thing. like a, a flag or whatever flag, on their yeah. back. I mean, it, the costumes are so sick. Good. Yeah, the um, score is the good. The sets also like the score is incredible. I was it's flipping good. Out it's used interestingly. Like, there's not a they lot use it of so it. cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, there's there's a, a great scene yeah. where they play Beyblade. Sure. There's a scene where they just all watch a no theater have performance. Have y'all never... I guess that this is probably... Have y'all never spun it some of those tops with, like, the strength? Not like that. I don't think so. In Puerto Rico, like, when I went to, like, my grandpa's house, they used to have tops like that where you had to, like, tie the string around them and then, to, like... And, like, throw it. Yeah, which is, like, very crazy. When, yeah. Um, you were talking about they go they see uh that's like the the big ceremony right where it's like right they're like yeah, right after they go. decide that they're gonna use him as the double yeah there's like a no that's another thing that where it's just like it's like a eight minute sequence of them just watching this right. performance basically mm-hmm. and that is like so good uh another very funny bit <laughs> is uh the guys trying to sweep up the horse prints in the sand uh, or in the dirt, and, like, they keep messing up and have to go back and forth. Um, but, yeah. And then the dream sequence is, like, the best-looking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> the dream sequence is good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it looks great. I think, I think the best-looking part of the movie is, like, when they are, like, on the mountain, and there's, like... There's like puffs of this like red light and green light. Yeah, yeah. When they're 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 shooting or whatever, and it's like huge red behind them, and then like the pink, and then the purple or whatever. That is what I think looks insanely good. But yeah, I think it, uh, it's like if you if you could see this movie in like thirty five millimeter project, I imagine it would you would just like ex- your head would explode. Omega nut in the seat. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, it, uh, yeah, I, I, it's just a giant, like, spectacle movie with this very sort of, in its own odd, like, anti-epic way, this, like, 
small story <laughs> right. about just this guy, basically. Um, yeah, I think... Tatsuya Na- Nakadi is the guy. Yeah, he's the, yeah. Or Nakadai, he plays the Kagamusha and Shinken. Uh, he, I think he's incredible. Yeah, he, he gives a good performance. He does a good job of, like, uh, you know, making sure you read those people as distinct the entire journey he goes through. We'll say it is also just, like, a classic movie where there's just too many people who look like each other. And That's true. Yeah, I mean, and it is, like, yeah, I mean... Just a bunch of actors who you're not familiar with, so you. I mean, I just, I just mean, I just mean like there is Shingen, his brother, and the Kaga, and the Kagemusha, and and especially during the first thirty minutes, I'm like, I am not sure who this is supposed to be, especially because two of those characters are played by the same person. And at the and at the beginning, I was like, oh, so this is like a fake thing where the Kagemusha also died, and then like the original guy is pretending to be the Kagemusha, and I was like, no. I overthought it, so now I'm just lost an hour and a half into this right. movie. Yeah. But everybody, um, but it's like, I don't know. I mean, people sort of not think it is mid, but like among the people that I sort of like know on like Letterboxd or whatever, it's not like one that people will like ride hard for. Like, mm-hmm. people love obviously like Hidden Fortress and Seven Samurai and like. Yojimbo, all those. And then, um, like, his, like, yeah, and high and low. And... Yeah, yeah, his crime. Like, I mean, I'd love to watch... I, I, I'm going to watch more just because I, I love this so much. But I'd love to see, like, um, The Bad Sleep Well, which I think is the one that's his, like, Hamlet adaptation. That's, like, a corporate sort of crime epic. Um <laughs> Yeah, the Shakespeare did. stuff is interesting to me, certainly. Because uh, isn't... Um, Ran is Macbeth, I think, right? Yeah, and isn't Redbeard King Lear or something like that? I could be wrong. I don't know, for sure, certainly. Um, Listen, he's made a lot of movies. People like most yeah. of them. He made a lot of movies. This movie... I, I, like, I, I, yeah, I assume, like, what the general consensus on this movie at the time and maybe now that it's sort of faded Sorry. but still exists, but, like, at the time probably was, like... We're really happy he's back. I mean, he did. Right. It. It's great he made another one that's like a Kurosawa movie, like undeniably or whatever, was sort of the impression I get from looking at uh, stuff. Yeah. R- R- Ran or Ron uh, is the one that is King Lear. Um, oh, it's Lear. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and then what's the Macbeth one? Throne of Blood. Not a Macbeth one. Throne of Blood. That's what it is. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. Um,. Yeah, it, like, and so, like we said, it did well. It can. It tied for the Palme d'Or. Um, it got two Oscar nominations for foreign language film and art direction. It didn't win either. Um, wow, wait. So, can you tell me what won both? Uh, Tess won art direction. Sure. Yeah. I know people um, think that's, like, one of the best looking movies that, yeah. movie that remained. So, it's like. Uh, Moscow does not believe in tears. A. Uh, Soviet Union film by Vladimir Menshov, which I have never heard of. Seems fake, but yeah, I mean, people should check it out. It is interesting that these two movies tied, though. Hmm. Do we want to get into all that jazz now? Well, yeah, I guess I yeah, like I do think like the George Lucas transport Coppola thing is interesting. Uh, I guess, like, it, he, they, like, ran out of money, and so they sort of stepped in. I guess they filmed some commercials in Japan to help, like, pay for it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And when it was released in the U.S., it was released uh, shortened. Uh, it is three hours long. I don't know if we have explicitly mentioned that, but the U.S. version was 162 minutes, so they cut uh, like 18 minutes out, um, which has been, you know, restored since. Uh, and it did okay. It, like, made, like, over a million dollars in the I US. mean, this is one of those things, like, I experience this a lot, and maybe I'll talk about it in special presentations. Four million dollars. Of, like, US. Uh, they don't make them like they used to or whatever. But, like, imagine just being, like, <laughs> seeing this in a theater <laughs> in 1980. Like, you're, like, 15 or whatever, and it's like, I guess I'm going to go see this movie, and it's fucking kagamush. I'd be like, oh! <laughs> Well, I assume it was a very limited release, but yeah. That, that, for, sure, but still. They probably would have. There's a possibility. There's a possibility of a lot of things happening. Anyway. I mean, it's interesting because, like, George Lucas and FFC obviously produced a lot of stuff. George Lucas also produced uh, a movie. Red that Tales. He did produce Red Tales. Sure. <laughs> not, where I, not where I was going. Did you want to talk about Red Tails, Andy? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of like in the pantheon of just like Japanese language gorgeous looking movies. He also produced Mishima. Well, yeah, they both produced Mishima. Yeah, A Life in Four Chapters, the Paul Schrader movie. Um, I know George Lucas produced some of FFC's movies. Uh, yeah, One for the Heart, or Tucker and Man in His Dreams. I think he's the one of the ones he produced. Sure, right, the car one, of course. They work together. A man in His Dreams. Anyway. All that jazz. Jazz hands, everybody. Colin's not doing them. Colin did that. Jazz hands. All that jazz, which came out seventy nine, right? This is it's playing canon eighty, but it's in a seventy nine release. That's very interesting. I guess, like, yeah. So were they not? They weren't the same Oscar year. I'm assuming. They were not, no. All That Jazz was um, played for the, yes. the 1980 Oscars. In All That Jazz, in, in fact, won art direction, the previous production design, yeah, the previous year. Um, which, you know, you gotta, if you watch that ending sequence, you'd understand why. Um, maybe, just starting off hot, we'll describe the movie, but maybe one of my favorite endings to a movie of all time. <laughs> I mean, the ending is what makes it uh, very good instead of just, okay. Um, I mean, this is the best movie we'll ever talk about on this podcast. It's uh, (laughs) basically my favorite movie. Uh, You know, it's in the running for top five movies of all time uh, for me. Um, So, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and like, yeah, it does, like, it knows where it's going and it fucking goes there um and just yeah i wrote down uh, i would you know taking notes i wrote in all in all caps because that ending it's like it's the big like show stopping whatever like whatever climax cuts off sort of in the middle of it all to his dead body in a plastic bag with no like just the zipping sound and then immediately into ethel merman singing there's no business like show business uh as the credits roll and i just think like those three like those the, the, the cacophony into the silence into the like back into the like showbiz whatever like and I just wrote in all caps Ethel take us home in my notes uh, as the uh, the credits began to roll she can't um, read that no you can't it's I- illegible um, I have terrible handwriting never ask me to write anything for you um, 
Yeah, I mean, so yeah, all that jazz. Uh, Bob Fosse's uh, penultimate film. Uh, he made one more after this. Um, what was the last one? Star 80. Uh, Star 80. Wow, that's yeah. one I'm excited to see. It's a wild one. Uh, I need to see it again so that I can know what I think of it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, Amelia, you want you have you want to do like r- r- give us a little yeah. I mean, it's all, a, all that jazz directed by Bob Fosse. It is a lightly autobiographical. Well, it's it's a heavily autobi. You take your pick of how autobiographical it is. It stars Roy Scheider as Joe Gideon, who is a theater director and choreographer. He is trying to stage his latest musical, New York, L.A. He's editing his film, The Stand-Up. He's a workaholic. He's an alcoholic, smokes cigarettes, doesn't have a great relationship with the mother of his his child, has a weird relationship with one of his dancers slash girlfriend. And is trying to balance his failings in his personal life with his brilliance as an artist and where it all comes. And it all comes together at maybe his death, maybe a sort of second life at sort of a recognition of the guy he was. But mostly just a lot of fun singing and dancing and sort of self-reflexive and self-accusatory... Mm-hmm. understanding of his own sort of missos that he's built. Uh, yeah, that's all that jazz. I think when I first watched all that jazz, I was like instantly like, yeah, this is brilliant. And I think my under my like comparison point as to a thing that helped me understand what I enjoyed about it is Kanye West, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy of just like this work of art of this guy being like I'm incredible and I'm also the piece of shit and I don't know if you can really uh, I don't know if you can really separate those things so I'm just gonna make this like loud boisterous piece of work about me trying to me trying and failing to separate these things but just making something great and just like also sort of highlighting some of the collaborators while also sort of giving them short change yep <laughs> and it, it's I don't know it, it's just a, it's just very entertaining I think uh, Scheider one sure. of the best performances yeah. in the screen I like it is a crazy performance <laughs> Scheider is such a sweaty actor I've never seen him dry in a movie sure yeah because it's like Jaws, obviously, he's freaking out the entire time, and he's in the water. Uh, Marathon Man, he's, like, uh, also freaking out the entire time. Um, what's that, Demi? Last Embrace? Last Embrace, yeah. He's, like, on the edge there. Yep. Uh, Sorcerer is, like, the that movie, like, crashed my computer because it was so damp. <laughs> it's, like, everything he's in, he's just, like, Even He's capable of chillness. Yeah. And the movie, the movie's, like lampshades his wetness from the very beginning right the very first thing you see him do apply eye drops uh take a shower i mean that is like i i watched a movie like i don't know like 2013 or 14 like when i was first sort of getting into like criterion movies sure it came out and i i got it and i was like this movie looks crazy they put out like 
the opening sort of uh right just the, the on broadway sequence on yeah. Broadway. yeah 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 they put that out uh on their youtube channel and i was like this looks crazy i have to see this movie and it's like one of those ones that's like on every single great director's list of favorite movies always has all that jazz on it right um I feel like Fincher is one of the most famous stands of it. Um, and when I watched it when I was younger, I thought it was very great. And this time when I watched it, it starts with the, you know, Vivaldi and he's doing the eye drops and dropping the aspirin and doing all that. And I was like, oh yeah, we got ourselves a movie. <laughs> this is the good stuff. Yeah. And then the rest of it, I was like, oh, this is so, like boring. And I just kept waiting for John Lithgow to show up. That's which is the only other thing that I remember. Um, and then the ending, I was like, oh, right. This is the great stuff. Because <laughs> uh, I like basically forgotten everything. And then the, the, like, the last 30 minutes, it's like incredible and just brings it to a whole different level. Um, but I say it's boring. It's like I, I found it pretty like spare between the like performances and like those. It's like obviously well directed and uh, I enjoy the sort of choreography of it all and seeing it happen. Um, but it is just not very uh, exciting or engaging. I think until the end, and it feels sort of. Um, like Bobo, like I don't know. The way it looks is kind of, it, it's a similar thing I have with Cabaret, where it's like these, um, the moments in between don't get as to something as much as I would want them to, and especially um, the 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 stuff with Jessica Lange, I don't think works really uh, for me. Oh man. Like um, all this, the, 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 like him young and yeah, God, there's that like moments that I like, but it's, um, the, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, so my history with this movie, I guess, like, um, is that like, uh, my first, my first like favorite movie of all time was Chicago because like, I was very excited for that movie. It was like a big deal for me, whatever I saw. It, I was like, I love this. This is great. Whatever. Um, naturally that movie has a famous song, all that jazz. Uh, it was, and also in its original production was directed by Bob Fosse is ba New York to LA is like, I mean, in, in Joe Gideon's career, it is roughly in the same place as um, Chicago is. Although I think, I don't know. He, he thinks a lot less of the material that he's directing in New York to LA, I think like the initial material than necessarily maybe he would about Chicago, especially because on Chicago, he has a book credit anyway. Um, so I, so this was like one that I was, whenever we went to the library, it was always one that like really stuck out to me on the shelf of like, Oh, I could rent that or whatever. And it's one of the earliest, like R rated adult movies. I think I saw like as a kid, like, you know, I, I don't remember seeing many movies with, like, nudity in them before, like, this one or whatever. There's hella nudity in this. Game. Yeah, and, like, I definitely, like, did not understand the, like, him, like, soiling his pants in that sequence at the, like, sure. like, or, like from the from the women, like, all that stuff. Like, I was, like... <laughs> soiling is such I'd, a crazy word. I couldn't think of, like, what the best word I mean, he, would be. He, he busts I know, pants, right. He, yeah, he, he ejaculates. Soiling. Um, he busts on sight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, two of the, yeah, two of the ladies backstage, uh, 
yeah, I'm not going to finish that sentence. Um, but yeah, so like, there's like, I didn't understand it, but it was like, wow, that's like quite a movie. And obviously the ending is incredible. And I've revisited. And he's like, as a kid, why did he piss his pants? <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, and, and I mean, like, you know, this one, like, I wasn't like, that's great, it's one of my favorite movies now, or whatever, right away, but it is one I've returned to a bunch, and obviously, like, understand yeah. more and more each time, and also, I have, like, done the deep dive into Fosse, and, like, seen all his films, a lot of his early choreography credits on, uh, in, in films, like, I haven't, I've seen all his directed credits, I haven't seen all his, like, acting and stuff, but I've seen a fair number of them. Uh, I've seen the Chicago Revival multiple times on stage. Um, so I've, like, become very familiar with his work. Obviously, I'm familiar with, like, a lot of, like, YouTube stuff. Uh, yeah, and then in the run-up to to Fosse Verdon, the FX limited series about Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon, I, like, completed his filmography. That's, like, what prompted me to finally, like, watch, like, Lenny and Star 80 and uh, Sweet Charity. Um, and, um, and yeah, I just like, he's like, you know, he's a problematic guy to put it lightly. He like was fairly not like could be abusive and like predatory and like all these sorts of things. Uh, I read that the bio, I did eventually read the biography that Fozzie Verdon is based on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just like, he's like, he is nothing short of iconic in terms of like he he has such a distinctive style and like such a such a a, a pure like unmistakable like fossy touch in everything that he makes that like you know i just i re- and i really respond to it and i really like he's so cynical and so but so he can be so funny at the same time like it's yeah he's just got he's just like everything i look for in like an artist basically um so yeah so in this movie like the beginning right it starts with like him and then yeah you have this incredible sequence where you see where he essentially does like what a chorus line did and famously a chorus line beats uh chicago for best musical at the tonys that year um in like but he does it in like a five minute sequence or whatever uh as, as you see him auditioning people for this production and he's like you know you see him having these like letting people down easy by having like intimate conversations with them you see how he's like flirty and crossing lines with people he's like asking a woman for her phone number who's auditioning for him all this stuff right and then um and then and then he goes into like you see him in the editing room right and how much he loves editing and how much like how much he hates it at the same time like he's he's convinced that this this what is a Lenny analog, right? Is, is never going to work and is, is, is going to be terrible, but you see it. I do think like the recurring, you revisit that and like he's improved it and stuff. And then at the end, um, when he's watching the lady give that movie, the review, the one positive note she says (laughs) is like, the only time it's good is when like the actor, when he gives the actor control and he does this monologue, which is the monologue you've seen him like editing and like really crafting the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just like think that's such an interesting, like he obviously has a lot of thoughts about credit and genius. And like, he is very self-aggrandizing in this movie like if when you read it as a bob fossey analog which there is no way to not do like i cannot under 
I cannot like believe like if he made no one could make a movie like this today because you could not like do a full press tour and be like I don't know is it me or whatever like like they were is like what he did? they were like a little coy about like how based on his life it That's was at crazy. the time I think which like there is no way that like a person could do that today or whatever like I I. Uh, you imagine like if he like had to go on like Jimmy Fallon and like Jimmy Fallon was like being like so come on is it you or whatever like yeah um, but imagine yeah. Jimmy Fallon and Bob Fosse having a conversation right. Bob right, Fosse exactly. I think would slap him in the face yeah <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah I mean and like this movie is pretty ungenerous to his artistic collaborators a lot of the time except for those who are like he's like clearly like helping and grow it like he like can help a dancer like he, there's this whole thing with this dancer who's like he's like yeah you'll never be great or whatever but i can make you better i can promise you that and like that's like a promising relationship to him and he has obviously this relationship with the gwen verdon analog and Anne ranking playing herself essentially um who like are like his muses or whatever but then like the composer for the show is like a comic character who the movie like does not necessarily think very much of uh as like an artistic contributor uh and yet at the same time like i don't know like it 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 it, it is pretty self-aggrandizing while also trying to be self-lacerating in so many ways like it's really building up the myth of bob fossey as like this complicated guy who's like a genius but also uh could never get his life together and that sort of thing and like i think it's in like the movie to me is just so fascinating on that level as like uh i don't think it's quite as like i think it's doing more to build him up than it is to tear him down uh, in a fascinating way that, like, I think does reveal a lot about the guy that I think maybe he doesn't necessarily intend in it. But I do think, like, it's, you know, it's, I, I think that stuff is, like, so interesting to me. Um, I've been vomiting a lot of stuff. I'm sorry. Does anyone else want to say anything? <laughs> no, I think it's just, I think about the moments in between the, like, bigger numbers, and I do. I agree that it's less dynamic, but I do think it's a very interesting portrayal of just, like, a person who is, criti- who is like, very creatively interesting, yet it's, like, clearly, like, mm-hmm. I don't give a, like, I, this is just, like, taking the soul out of me, like, and, and not in a way where he's, like, ripping his hair out. He's just, like, anything could happen, like, a train could hit me right now and I'd be fine. Like, what, like, what's happening here? This is just, like so painstaking to get anybody to listen to me and think I'm as smart as I am. I, it's like, I mostly just agree with Andy that I think it's like a movie that is balancing on this nice edge of like how much it's trying to be about how this guy, the piece of shit and how much it's trying to be about how this guy, the genius that it's like at the same time showing you both sides of the artist of just like, yeah, it's maybe a little too flirty, and it's maybe it's maybe like even within the text, putting down people around him, and it's like, but also it's just like so impeccably made in those sequences that you can't deny that mm-hmm. it's just like, well, this guy clearly knew what he was doing here, and it's like the end Riking character and his daughter and the Gwen Verdon analog, it, it just like it, yeah. especially how they figure into the end is all just so fascinating of because it's like I feel like that's the place where he's the most like, yeah, I was a piece of shit. These, lady they're kind of propping me up i don't know like mm-hmm. what i could really be doing if they if i didn't have these people that i sort of don't treat very well still be willing to 
like stand by me. Yeah. But it's but it, but even there at the end, it's like they are chastising him while doing an incredibly funny sequence of dances that he choreographed. So it's like where right where does one fall on that edge? And it's like obviously like you can talk about movies and like whatever the obsession with like a flawed man is and like how many movies get into that. But I do think the movie does a better job than most at like existing in a a sort of existing which is weird to say this about this movie just like the reality of it i was just like this guy was an asshole and people tolerated him because he was good at working nobody was gonna nobody is like did it was anybody's life ruined by him maybe but that's like not what we're really here to focus on it's just like he was a quietly devastating and uplifting force to his theater community. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, and it's so interesting, like, the art that he's devoted to, right, like, is, like, musical comedy, right? Like, it's, like, so ephemeral. It, like, the the most, like, disappears after it's gone art form or whatever. And he was, like a true genius at it like he could stage a number like you couldn't believe and like get the jokes and like have his style come through and and like be you know the new york to la sequence which i always am fascinated by like he does both like that number having two parts in its final presentation or final version is so interesting because like you know the first part is the like jokey joke winky nudge like whatever like version of it and then all the smoke comes in or whatever and it's like oh now we're doing the like the actual like sexy version of it and like the text is basically the same like there's that he it's playing in the same space as far as the like the lyrics and stuff but it's a change in mood and tone and like all of a sudden like all the commercial ambitions of his collaborators in this incredibly commercial dependent art form like it's so expensive to like do a musical you need people to come to it to in order to, for it to be sustainable and they're like oh we're gonna get an airline deal or whatever with this song or whatever and then he like completely like brings his like vision to it and you know make something that like people are like well this is your best work ever or whatever but also like this there's is this gonna play commercially like they're so they're so doubtful of it and it's like it just yeah i think it's so interesting like the the commercial and recept the, the commercialness of it all the reception of it all like both critical and audience wise i think is like the, it plays into the the movie in such like an interesting way in and out throughout the the whole film yeah and it's just yeah. like yeah the the his like producers or whatever's response to it they'll just be like yeah this is great I, I don't know what we can really do with this. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> we can't put this on. Right. And because it, and it's like, I did not watch all of Fosse Burden, but I did watch enough of it to, to like, get from him a guy who wanted to take musical comedy or, like, musical theater and be like, why can't this be gritty and sexy and fuck? Like, I'm into mm-hmm. this and I'm, like, a sort of weird cigarette smoking piece of shit woman either like why can't this energy translate onto what people want to watch on screen and it's like in movies he seemed to have gotten there and i guess chicago sort of gets to that though chicago is sort of a silly thing a lot of the time but i don't know 
It's just interesting to think about. It's like, again, I don't think, it's like, yeah, I don't think you could, it's like, you said today, I don't even know, like, if anybody else but him could have made something that is so much, like, about you. Like, I don't right, know what else so. movie, it's like, obviously, like, directors, especially there's people are talking about trends these days, just, like, directors making movies about, like, when they were little kids. But that's like sort of a different thing. That's just like I mean, eight and a half. I haven't seen, but that's like eight and a half. One yeah, compare this to a yeah, lot. eight and a half is yeah. the other um, one. My mind's blinking, but I feel like there are other ones, and of course, nine to go along with eight and a half. Sure, and nine, yeah, nine, nine um, is sort of like the the this way those two paths cross. <laughs> I have not seen Lenny, and I can't think of him. Yeah. I maybe want to see less. Um... And uh, I also have never seen any Chicago anything. Sure. Uh, so that was like a thing of, like the only Fosse I've seen is Cabaret, and this. Um, haven't seen any Fosse Verdon. Yeah. Obviously, I'm a big fan of uh, that GIF of Michelle Williams like rubbing her hand on her face. Sure. Uh, and I uh, love that picture of Lin Manuel Miranda. As I Bruce gotta Tiger. say. When Roy Scheider was, like, lying in the hospital bed, I was like, wow, he does look a lot like Lin-Manuel Miranda. I mean, I did keep thinking of <laughs> fucking tick-tick-boom when I was watching this. Um, but, yeah. I do I do love that last bit of him when they zip up the body bag and then it's just over. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, Put him in a body bag. And you mentioned... Yeah, you mentioned Lithgow earlier. Uh, Colin. Sure. Uh, I do want to just bring him up. Hit also while the Sean in it for a second is very Sean fun. Has a little bit. Um, but yeah, Lithgow as like Hal Prince, quote unquote, um, basically like the the other like his his artistic rival essentially. Uh, and you see, he has like just two good scenes and then a great appearance in the final number uh, where he's like, Oh, I'll, I'll fix it. Or like, I can take a look or whatever. Like while he's like in tech for some other project. And like, uh, it's just like, he's like, has a very different style than, than Gideon and like, is not as like up and involved and stuff. Um, and then the, the, the scene later where they're like, Oh, he's better. It's great. We're, we're all set. Like everything's good. And he's like, clearly like done a lot of work. Cause his like his, you find out his show has flopped. Uh, and, um, that one, the person comes up asking for an autograph. It's like, here's my second favorite director after Joe Gideon. Um, and yeah, he's just like quietly seething the whole time. Uh, and then, yeah, just the, the, the moment in the final sequence where he appears and like after Gideon has like hugged a bunch of like collaborators and stuff and he walks up and they like have a, like a nice respectful handshake of like, yeah, I guess like I can give this to you or whatever. I like, really love that moment so much. Yeah. When I was watching it, I was waiting for Lithgow, and I was like, I must have been confused, and like, yeah, because I watched it at the same time when the first time I ever watched uh, Blowout. So I was like, mm. maybe I'm just conflating it because he's in that so much. And then when he popped up, I was like, all right. And then um, yeah. the other scene that stuck out to me is when he's in the hospital, sort of on the mend, and he keeps like uh, everyone's like hanging out with him and partying. And it reminded me a lot of uh, yeah. Wolf of Wall Street when he's on the plane. Mm-hmm. And he's like keeps grabbing like the flight attendants the same way that he's grabbing like the nurses, and everyone's like partying around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him in the hospital. Like, it is. Ve- I find it very relatable. All the like, the like not being able to follow the doctor's orders. 
Sure. I mean, obviously, I'm not to that extent or whatever in my life. Yeah, and like, he's like, they try to give me this medicine. I said, go screw. I'm very I'm good about smoke if I want to. I'm very good about taking my medications and stuff, but I do like making lifestyle changes is like so hard for me, and like I I, I sympathize I mean, with yeah, that. Sure. Um, not to get too personal here. Um, yeah, and then uh, the other th- moment I love in that final sequence. Uh, it, it is another moment when he's like going through the crowd or whatever, and um, the Gwen Verdon analog is like clearly like devastated, crying, and she sticks out her tongue at him as like a little moment of levity. And I was like, I know exactly what that feeling is to like be like absolutely like emotionally devastated, but also like wanting to like be fun and like have a have a little moment of like lightness or whatever in that like. I don't know. It just is that, that like that one shot like communicated like a feeling that I have felt so perfectly um, that I was like really blown away by it. Um, uh, the critic gives him half a balloon, which I think is funny that she has a balloons rating yep, system. The balloon system is funny. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what else I took. You know, I took a bunch of notes. Um, uh, ben Vereen plays like the, the whole bit with him being like uh my I, I, I was you know a great entertainer a great humanitarian and my dear friend for 20 years or whatever um is good uh yeah i think there's like weirdly a lot of really good lines in the script the script is by fossey and robert allen arthur is the other's uh credit and i think like the scene with him and ann ranking where she where he, where she's like should i go on the tour and he's like, yeah, you should go on the tour for you or whatever. And then, like, it gets into, like, this weird passive-aggressive fight where um, she, like, calls and, like, sets up a date with a guy while she's, like, in the bathroom or whatever. And he gets mad at her for doing that. And, and she's like, uh, you know, I, I think that scene, like, has a lot of really good, like, lines in it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, this is a movie I love. I could just talk about so many little moments forever and i don't want to dominate too much and we're probably at about time so uh, i will say this it did well um, stateside at the oscars right yes it did uh it got a bunch of nominations um it won art direction costume design and editing as well as uh, original song score or adaptation score um uh it was nominated for screenplay actor for shider director for fossey and picture uh, and lost all those. Here's the question, uh, well Andy. Lost. Yeah. Did anybody Go ever ahead. try to stage it? I don't think they have, and I don't know if you could. I don't. I would be very surprised if there was, if the Fosse estate, at, at, at any rate, as long as it's not it's not in the public domain, if the Fosse estate would let anyone do a stage version of it. Um,. It doesn't have, like, a score. Like, it doesn't have, like, a... It has original songs in it, but they're, like, purposefully, like, not much to write home about, I think. Um, uh, And there's, like, a bunch of, like, existing songs that you've heard, like, on Broadway and and that sort of thing. But, um... And the Vivaldi, obviously, in his, uh... In his... I'll put it on. Waking up sequences. Give me the right. Yeah. They did it on Better Call Saul that one time. Sure. Um, what did, there's what also, did they do on Better Call Saul? They did the, the sort of montage, the Showtime montage, like fully him going through the motions of like being a lawyer. Um, yeah. And like every time at the courthouse bathroom or whatever, like doing it Showtime. There's also on the Michael Bolton 
Valentine special. Michael Sheen plays Bob Fosse <laughs> when he's. Uh, I don't remember. Showing, I need to revisit. You that. don't remember this? It's when they're doing the old time rock and roll thing. Sure. I mean, like I saw that Greasers special versus when punks. it came out. Sure, sure, years sure. Ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was reminded, of, and I, I I rewatched that clip. Um, but Michael Sheen plays Bob Fosse basically. That's really funny. And, he's, and, and it's the scene where he's making her do it over and over again. He's doing the same thing sure. to. Uh, to to Michael Bolton and he's just got like the cigarette hanging out of his mouth yeah. and like the black boots and the, the, it is yeah I mean that's like an iconic character like there's like a Simpsons caricature of Bob Fosse or whatever who shows up from time to time and like like it's like he became like you know the whole thing like he had this rivalry uh, with um, uh, Michael Bennett who did who did a chorus line like they were sort of sort of always been like well Michael Bennett will like fade into the background and like make his choreography like really different and distinct to match the material of the show and then Bob Fosse is the guy who like everything's gonna like become his style and it's gonna like he's gonna move the material more towards like his realm or whatever um but like and like obviously Michael Bennett died tragically also young also due to you know uh the AIDS crisis and everything and um and we lost a lot of great work from him, so who knows where he would have gone. But, like, it's interesting, like, many Michael Bennett shows, like, live on, but real. I guess, two Dream Girls and A Chorus Line are, like, really well-known and celebrated as, like, Michael Bennett things. But, like, Fosse is, like, an icon, and, like, Fosse dance it, like, you know, Beyonce will, like, do a Fosse-style number or whatever. Like, it's, like, he's still an artist who people, like, really, like, want to engage with, despite work it, his, like, his, like, many of his best and most genius works being stage musicals which are ephemeral and do our heart like are not necessarily available to continue influencing people down the road unless there there's a recreation restaging of it which is you know it's interesting um but yeah um i i recommend fossey verdon for anyone who hasn't seen it i think it's really good it's i mean that show is like about like hey gwen verdon should get a lot of credit too she was like really like keeping this guy afloat and like didn't get a credit a lot of credit at the time uh and i think that's like it's a well-argued point in that show and obviously there's a lot of great performances and stuff in it um i think it's really good uh i've i would i'm due for a rewatch i've rewatched an episode or two but i should probably do the whole thing again um at some point soon but yeah Bob, yeah. Bob Fosse recommend his movies recommend his, his work uh, watch um, uh, Who Got the Pain on YouTube always great to see from uh, Damn Yankees which is just like a joyous dance number that he does with Gwen Verdon uh, check him out and with that special presentation yes I've got one go for it Colin the day we're recording this yesterday I watched <laughs> Uh, a bit of just like on a whim because I've been thinking of wanting to watch this guy's movies because he's only made two. I watched Todd Field's In the Bedroom. Uh, and as I sort of alluded to earlier, of like they don't make them like this anymore, the movies that I like will find myself thinking that about the most are always like. I mean, it comes down to just movies for like adults, but it's like action movies where it's like wow they just don't make like action movies where it's like some juiced up freak like killing a bunch of people and then having sex with a bunch of people and then uh then just like movies with like 
good actors that are well written and well directed like just solid like novel type movies like this one's based on a short story but it's one of those things where it's like how is this like not based on like the great american novel or something like i feel like uh the piano is a movie where it's like how is this like original even though uh in the bedroom is not original but it's todd field's movie from 2001 um uh todd field who was an actor he's famously plays nick nightingale in eyes wide shut um he is he directed this he directed uh little children uh with patrick wilson and kate winslet and he's directing the new kate blanchett movie tar or tear maybe um about a german composer um and it's also got nina haas in it and it, i was like that sounds sick he was he almost directed um a television series adaptation of jonathan franzen's purity with daniel craig back in like 2014 and that fell through he's had like a lot of projects fall through but in the bedroom is about it's like tom wilkinson and sissy spacek live in maine um or rhode island or something um and uh their son is like back from college and it's Nick Stahl and he works on like a fishing boat but is also like thinking about going to grad grad school to become an architect and he's also in this relationship with um what can I think of her name from my cousin Vinny (laughs) um what is her name uh yeah Marissa Tomei I wanted to keep saying Melissa Leo (laughs) Marissa Tomei um she is uh, his, like, older girlfriend, sort of, and she has two kids and uh, is separated from her husband, played by William Mapother, <laughs> um, with, like, blonde hair and a mustache. It's a crazy look. Um, and there's just, like, all this drama that happens around that, is all I'll say, because it's kind of a buckwild movie. <laughs> and, uh, it like, I was watching it, and I was like, this is nice just to see, like, a normal movie that they wouldn't make anymore of just, like, normal people living their lives or something like, uh, uh, what's that Paul Newman movie? It's, like, Everybody's Fool or whatever. Or, like, Olive Kittredge is what I was expecting. Just, like, a very plain, uh, thing. But it is crazy. And, like, I was losing my mind at the end. And there's, like, this great performance by this guy who is at these poker games with Tom Wilkinson. And every time Tom Wilkinson like takes too long on a hand this guy just starts saying poetry and at a point in the movie uh something happens to tom wilkinson and everyone's sort of walking on eggshells around him and the guy starts saying this poem of that is just like incredibly incredibly powerful but it's like i was so so into the movie i was excited i was freaking out it's so good in the bedroom someone else uh yeah i i'm trying to think i've started like five million tv shows in the last two weeks because there's a lot of tv right now i don't think i'm gonna call it anything specifically i want to see how things develop a little more before i call it any specific shows so i guess i'll just say like another song that i've been listening to revisiting a lot recently i talked about women on the version of breakdown last week but this week i'm a song from the mean girls musical which is like bob Fosse would hate that show i think but uh it's um, it's got its moments, and one of those moments I really like is the song "Revenge Party," which is just really, really fun, and uh, I really recommend it. It's um, 
you know, it's about getting revenge. It has the Glenn Coco moment from the movie, which you remember. Um, uh, and it's really fun and exciting. And so Revenge Party from Mean Girls is my special presentation. Emilio, you got some stuff to say. Stuff to say. Okay. Um, right? You said you wanted you want to, right? something. Okay. Uh, I will be attending the 75th Cannes Film Festival. Hopefully, being on the beach. <laughs> uh, I will be there. I will be for the last three days of the festival. Um, maybe I'll sneak my way into the awards ceremony. Who knows? <laughs> um, and yeah, I'll be there. I'll try to watch some movies. Hopefully, I'll do some coverage. What that coverage looks like, who knows? I don't really have a laptop, so I will just type things into my phone. Maybe I'll write for some places. Maybe I'll just record something on voice memo and put it out on the podcast feed. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Right, we'll probably, we'll probably we debrief don't? it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just couldn't find a spot in the schedule to talk about Amelia. Yeah, we really wanted to talk about <laughs> this arbitrary tie that happened again. <laughs> so we won't talk about one of us going to Cannes. <laughs> um, expect selfies, I guess. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll um, be at the beach. Yeah, Emilio, this is where Emilio pivots from podcaster to IG model. <laughs> Listen, right? How many parties will he get into? TBD. My assumption is not many, but uh, <laughs> you gotta try. Though. I'll try to get into parties. Listen, I guess this this is more the special presentation of just like if anybody who is listening to this will be at Can, hit me up. We can party. We can chill. We can hang. We can talk You'll about find it. housing together. We can find housing. <laughs> we can hit it up. Uh, apart from that, Pusha T's new album came out. Call My Bluff is a very good song. You should listen to Call My Bluff by Pusha T. Uh, Pearls, Pearls in his bag again. And with that, plugs. If you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, you can do so at Can I Kick It. If you want to follow us on Letterboxd or Instagram, we're CIKIPod. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at canikickitpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to donate money to us, <laughs> which yeah. a lot of people have recently, and we're very, very thankful generously, for. generously, yes, and yeah. since Emilio has, has, has People are going accepted. buck wild in uh, the donations. Would help, would help me. Very crazy to get and very Would exciting. help me not go broke at can. Sure. Yeah. Uh, um, this is a. Uh, we should maybe do, do so another can, uh, supporter choice. Yeah, we'll soon. do another. We'll do, do do another draw. Yeah. Um, but yes, you can donate to us at ko-fi.com/slash/c-a-n-n-e-s-i, coffee.com/slash/can-i. And if you want to follow your boy on Twitter or Letterbox, I'm Clatchley. I'm in a bit of a hot streak right now. Oh I've been throwing out drafts that people are saying it'll be over by the time you the balloon. Hear this. So yeah, if you want to see me crumble publicly, <laughs> go ahead and check that out there. Uh, you can find me online at Andy T Germ. I am at the same quality as I have always been. <laughs> I agree. The yeah. thing you get from me is consistency. Yeah. <laughs> follow me on Twitter at I'm Left Alone, where, listen, the people know I've been tweeting a lot less these past couple of years, been trying to more focus on myself, but uh, expect stuff from Can. Expect the Crimes of the Future review to drop on the letterbox, I Left Alone. Expect the Broker, me joining Broker Hive Live. 
Yeah. But anyway. And then our theme song is by Tree Related, who's on Spotify at Tree Related or SoundCloud.com slash Tree Related. And with that, it's the end of the episode. What song will I play? Will it be something from All That Jazz? Or will it be Phoebe Bridger's Kyoto? Because <laughs> they mentioned Kyoto and Kagamusha. Who can say? It's <laughs> and with that, we'll ladder. release our audience. Bye. Bye. <laughs>